0: We see many healthcare marketers make a major mistake, underestimating the power of the patient. More than ever, patients are taking a vested interest in their healthcare, and through the ease of finding health information online, patients are more prepared than ever. So when they go to see their physician, have you armed them with key information about their disease and what to look for in a therapy? At Aroma, we do just that we take a 360 degree marketing approach that places emphasis on the patient physician interactions. Following our proven digital patient strategies to guide focused, detailed conversations, we activate patients, which ultimately makes a positive impact to your bottom line. That's working with Aroma.
1: we are finally back with a new episode of the oromo digital podcast due to the pandemic we had to take a little bit of a hiatus but we are now back with a slightly different setup but still bringing you a great lineup of expert guests this episode we're bringing back michael aceto for another insightful look into the life sciences job market michael aceto is an industry-leading life sciences recruitment expert he leads life sciences recruiting for Ateneo as managing partner and is also the founder and managing director of Life Sciences Search Group. With over 25 years of life science experience, Michael supports the talent acquisition needs of global leaders and innovators in the biotechnology, pharmaceutical, medical device, cannabis, and healthcare space, along with many other emerging life sciences divisions in North America. We're happy to have him back, so let's get right into the episode.
2: So, Michael, thanks for joining us. It's been a while.
3: It has. Uh, Thanks for inviting me to this podcast, Jakob and Ken. It's nice to be back.
2: Yeah, thanks for joining us. I know a lot has uh, changed since we last spoke. And one of the the bigger things is obviously COVID and how it has changed uh, the environment. And one thing from a high level that we wanted to jump right into is the specific areas of the life sciences industry that are more in demand and some that aren't. Have you noticed any changes in that?
3: Oh, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, I think things were changing anyway towards more digital and virtual means, but you know, I think pandemic really accelerated that. So certainly there's been a a lot of changes that we can get into.
2: And have you been noticing anything with specific, um, maybe even um, the way that roles are set up like uh, sales reps We've, we've heard obviously that uh, sales reps um, have, you know, have to change dramatically uh, the way that they operate. Has that led to uh, shrinking or anything? We haven't heard anything about that. Is that something that
3: you've heard? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there, there has been a big change when it comes to pharmaceutical sales, you know, since the pandemic began, uh, you know, especially that first six months. I mean, it almost seemed like the 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 earth stopped spinning and everything just came to a halt although things are certainly so much better now and the market's really hot it's almost like there was like a like some type of um, uh, boomerang effect after like six or seven minutes, uh, six or seven uh, months of nothing, all of a sudden things are really starting to boom. But definitely a lot of those regional positions where reps would have to go and meet general practitioners or primary care physicians, or even going into the hospitals to meet with key opinion leaders and and different specialists became a real challenge. And as a result, their, you know, companies certainly laid off numerous uh, regional reps and sort of adopted new ways of communicating in virtual ways. Uh, For example, I, I was working with a biotech company that had a number of key account managers that would work you know, in different regions across Canada, but they stopped that model and actually created a uh, virtual national sales role where the individual would work from the office, but in using virtual digital means would reach out to all of the necessary key opinion leaders and positions across Canada. So, you know, because they couldn't physically go to the to the hospitals and meet the KOLs, you know, four, four reps were let go for one national key account manager that was working virtually that you know didn't need to be based in each region but could effectively connect with those uh, physicians so that's a big thing that I've been seeing uh, a lot more sort of virtual positions and although there are still you know sales reps and key account managers out there working with specialty medicines some of the more primary care sales people like like companies that may have hired a lot of primary care reps or GP reps I mean the the, the primary care physicians didn't really want to see reps anymore So there has been a lot of downsizing and restructuring on that front.
0: And and just to add to that, um, Michael, you know, are there any particular skill sets that companies are now looking for? And then as a follow up to that, you know, has the skill set changed over the last few years?
3: Well, yes, yes and no. Um, I mean, certainly even without the pandemic, things are always evolving in our industry. There's certainly some real high demand areas. Um, and again, you know, like, as I mentioned, the pandemic really kind of accelerated the whole digital situation too. I mean, even before the pandemic, the whole digital, the digital space in pharma has been has been growing and becoming a much bigger high demand area. Uh, there's a lot more technology out there digitally. So that certainly is a, is, is a, is a big growing area in the industry whether there was a pandemic or not. I mean, the pandemic just really kind of accelerated that. I I see a lot more roles for digital marketing people and and digital salespeople at all levels. So, you know, virtual sales reps. So that's a big area that's grown. But, you know, even without the pandemic, there's some pretty hot areas within the pharma industry that are always in super demand. For example medical right and there's i think we talked about this the last time we spoke there's a role called medical science liaison which is basically pre-marketing work where new molecules are coming to market and it's the job of uh, somebody with a phd or a PharmD d or, or a medical doctor to interact with physicians and you know bring awareness of clinical studies and things that are coming to market so they can be prepared for these new launches that really have novel sort of uh, medicines that will change change like the quality of life for people. So the, the MSL role is just a really big role. And, you know, anything that has to do with, with market access and by market access, what I mean is getting funding, you know, a pharmaceutical company, in, in Canada, especially because of our socialized medical system, you know, needs the government to be able to provide funding for, for their medicines in order to be successful or to get a third party insurer to, to basically put it on their, on their formulary that, that the government would pay for that or whatnot. So anything that has to do with market access, and that could be government affairs, health economics. Um, that is a really big area as well, and you know, still I, I talked about maybe there's been a reduction in in sort of some salespeople and some downsizing, but there's always a need for key account managers who are working with some you know really special new novel medicines, oncology, rare disease, gene therapy. So these are still in high demand. You know, the primary care reps who call on the GPs. Like there was a time there was a zillion of them running around, running into all of the offices. I mean, that model's kind of changed a little bit. So I, I would say medical, specialty sales, anything that has to do with, uh, with market access, these are super high demand areas. And again, virtual is really coming on strong. And I mean, of course, AI is a really neat new emerging uh, sector as well that, that everyone should keep an eye on because I think that's kind of
2: the future as well. And, and speaking of virtual, um, we've definitely noticed you know, remote remote work has definitely been kind of the norm. You know, we've seen plenty of our clients take calls from the cottage or even move temporarily out of province. Is this something that companies are embracing for the long-term? Are you finding that they're reaching, um, you know, beyond their cities or even provinces to get talent?
3: That's a great question because that's a big trend that's changing right now. And yeah, for sure, um, you know, I, So everything's been really virtual as people can't really go into the office with all of these lockdowns. But I think that there's people have become to understand that you can actually work efficiently not being in the office. Um, You know, we've got lots of tools that we can utilize now where you don't need to be in the office. Um, But it still is important to be in the office at times to collaborate and so forth. But a lot of my clients, which are tier one pharmaceutical and biotech innovators, have come to the understanding that the future roles should be more hybrid like roles where you get to work from home and part time from the office. I mean, if there's a big meeting and you need to come in on a Wednesday, that's one thing. And you could stay home on a Thursday and get your work done. So I I see that a lot of the companies I'm working with are are starting to create this model, um, you know, post pandemic. So, and that is for sure going to change where people can live. you know, I, you know, I see a lot of people leaving the city and purchasing homes further away from work. And if you only have to go into work, you know, periodically or a few times a week or, you know, not necessarily during like core time, like before and after traffic, then you can live much further from the office and it's much more convenient. So everybody seems to be thinking this is going to be the new future after the pandemic.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, because, you know, if we had a crystal ball, you know, a couple um months ago it sounded like you know everyone was going to get called back to the office at some point and you know there's going to be this great push back to the offices but it sounds like um everyone's going to adopt more of a hybrid model and it's it's kind of here to stay right
3: you know, I, I think the progressive minded organizations are, go- are going to think that way. I think they're going to trust in the people that they hire to do their job properly. I, I think the day of the manager standing over you to make sure you're doing your work is over, um, you know, I think if a, if a company really need somebody to be there all the time, constantly. Well, Maybe that's a bit of a micromanaging leadership style. Um, you know, if you hire good people and you trust them, you know they're going to achieve their goals and succeed. So, But again, it is important to have that collaboration, that camaraderie, and to be part of the team. So, you know, companies will want people coming back to work, but again, it'll, it'll be more of a hybrid situation but you know i'll tell you too like w- with regards to for example moving so far out of the city like for example if a, if a pharmaceutical company is based in toronto and you know you there are virtual roles where people will work from from ottawa but still if you're launching a a, a new medicine and you're working cross-functionally with a group you, you still need to be somewhat close to the office to be able to come in so I, you could be further away when it comes to a commute Like it used to be a time people didn't want to commute from Mississauga to Markham because every day that would be just too much, but that that situation is different now. But being very, very far from the office, I mean, there are certainly full digital roles like that, but I think employers are going to want people coming to the office for key meetings and key, key collaborative initiatives.
0: And just as a, just switching gears a little bit, you know, in, in terms of the ways that the pandemic has sort of impacted the hiring process, have you seen anything that has changed a little bit?
3: Oh, 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 for sure. So, you know, just like this podcast we are doing, I mean, it was so much fun last year being in your studio and 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 doing the podcast. We were in a room together and it was a lot of fun. Now we can't be in a studio and we're doing this with virtual tools. So we learned to survive, we learn to adapt and we learned to, to, to continue on and succeed. And that's exactly what's happened in the hiring process. You know, honestly, the hiring process hasn't changed that much. You know, there's still the number of interviews, panel interviews for medical roles. You still need to make presentations and you slides but that can all be done on microsoft teams or zoom or any of the many tools that can bring us all together on our computer seeing each other so i tell you the truth i mean the interview process is still the same it's just uh we've learned to utilize tools and not have to do it you know physically in front of one another but in in one another in front of one another virtually so no it it really hasn't changed too much there's still the same amount of steps it still takes just as long because they're still basically meetings but just not in person
2: Outside of interviews, in terms of getting that first initial look or um, setting up that first initial interview, is there anything that they need to do differently in the new environment?
3: Well, yeah, there certainly is some different skill sets that you need to utilize. Like, for example, I mean, if you're going to be on Zoom meetings and Microsoft Teams meetings, it's really important to make sure that you're set up properly for those meetings and that you practice a little bit even before you get on the computer. You know, if if all of a sudden you just log on, you've not really used these tools before, you're not, you're maybe you're not knowing how to mute or unmute or turn the video on or off. Uh, It's also important that your computer is positioned in a way that is flattering for you. Um, There's been times I've spoken with people and all I can see are their nose and eyes and they need to pull back their phone or pull back their computer, you know, so you, you need to practice that a little bit and even lighting is important. I mean, in the wrong lighting, you could turn your computer on and you could look completely red or something. So it's it's important to find you know, a room that you're comfortable with in your in your home office or your home or your office that that the, that there's that maybe it's not too big of a room that echoes. It, it would be smart to be prepared and not have to deal. You know, if you've got 45 minutes with a hiring manager, you don't want to spend 15 minutes trying to figure out your technical problems. So that is a new skill set that people need to understand and learn. And before you get into an interview, you should at least test out test out you know the application with a friend and make sure you're you know because it will help you be more confident and comfortable in the situation too when you're interviewing you don't want to have to think about technical glitches while you know you're trying to come up with great examples and of accomplishments and things that you've done in the past
0: and i know you've highlighted some of this michael but you know what what new what new sort of challenges should people be aware of in terms of their job hunt or interviewing journey
3: well Again, the, the new challenges would really be what I just mentioned that that's kind of the, the new aspect, but it, it's still the same, like the, the situation is still the same, you, you know, you still, you know, to, to get interviews and, and you know, you, you still need to be networking. You, you know, you, you still it's all you know, if you're if you're unemployed and you're trying to get a position in the pharmaceutical industry or potentially if you're, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen because your company's going through some things and you're worried you may lose your job, or maybe you're not content in your position and you want a new advancement role. It's really important to continue networking. Um, you know, it's really important to have a really great LinkedIn, um, a LinkedIn page set up with a good picture smile, you know, a professional picture, and, and a lot of good details on LinkedIn. Um, again, moving digital, like everybody's utilizing LinkedIn. And even when you send a resume, they always look at your LinkedIn profile to, to glean some more information about you. So I think you utilizing LinkedIn and digital means is really important and networking, networking, networking. I mean, it's still, it's still the old adage, you know, like that's, that's the way that you're going to basically find your next opportunity. You, you need to just continue to network with people and and, and do it on the, almost on a full-time basis. If you can, you know, continuing to keep that network going. And that's most likely how you'll find about new opportunities. And even if you can't meet face to face, there's still many ways to network and talk to people.
0: Right. You know, Michael. Last time you spoke, you um, or we spoke together. I mean, you provided us with some really cool tips on how to optimize sort of that job search. And like, is there anything that you're you would add now or change based on recent experience? And one of the things that you know we've heard from different individuals is, you know, should I take a digital course? Should I highlight certain elements on my LinkedIn that you know are giving me different experiences so that when when a, a hiring company is is looking uh i can actually highlight you know very specific skills that i've learned over the last you know year year and a half
3: for sure i mean that that's it never hurts to continue to educate yourself and and stay on top. You know, you, you guys would know you're very technical in the digital world. Things are always, you know, improving and you constantly need to stay on top of new technology. So, you know, I, I think if you're continuing to educate yourself and increasing your skill set, taking courses and staying on top of the the most, you know, advanced and newest technology, that can only be advantageous for somebody pursuing you know, a really good opportunity. So I would say for sure, you know, build up that skill set, learn some new digital, like get some digital courses. I mean, if you're a pharma rep and you've you've worked in a few therapeutic areas, well, there's many different courses on each therapeutic area that you can take that can give you more experience. Like you could learn about oncology or if you're not in oncology yet, and that might help you to sort of maybe bridge the gap and get you into that oncology therapeutic area because at least it shows that you're passionate about it and you're being proactive about learning. So I I think education, getting courses and staying on top of of technology will only make you look like a a more attractive candidate to a potential employer.
0: And as a sort of as a follow up to that, I know that, um, again, a lot of individuals who have experience in therapeutic areas, you know, in in a a company looking for that that type of uh, experience is important. But for them to even stand out even more, as you had highlighted, you know, taking these these courses, maybe not even just necessarily digital, but uh, do you find that now more than ever before, it's really critical for these individuals to really stand out with their experience, their skill sets, et cetera, uh, knowing that there's, you know, a number of different individuals looking
3: for the same position? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, there right now, I mean, especially because things are so virtual employers are really looking for people like let's say we're talking about key account manager roles or specialty sales roles let's say there's a new oncology medicine that's being launched well it's even more important now to highlight that you have that type of experience because they would be more interested in hiring somebody with that therapeutic area experience especially if working virtually because they'll already have the network and contacts in oncology and then can reach out to those people versus bringing somebody from another therapeutic area that doesn't have those contacts it would be much more challenging for them to build those relationships in a virtual means you know they so it's even become even more important that you have specific um, therapeutic area experience because you could hit the ground running in a challenging world where we can't walk into someone's a doctor's office and necessarily talk to them I mean that still is happening but not as frequently so
0: so would you say for instance if if and again I've I've talked to some some different uh colleagues about this, but I mean, if you don't have any experience in a therapeutic area, but you're still looking for a position, do you go for it? Or do you think, oh, you know, I mean, anybody who has experience, like you said, in oncology, and maybe I don't have any real experience in oncology, should I, should I spend the time and the effort looking for a position like that? Or should I just focus on my experience and really sort of be a little bit more detailed when I'm actually searching?
3: Right. Great question. Um, Listen, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, you know, if, you, if your goal is that you're you're passionate about entering into, let's say, working with a biologic or working with with the you know a GI medicine or oncology medicine, and that's something that you're really excited and want to do, then I believe you can achieve that goal. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense not to try. Um, not every employer is the same. You you also may be working on something on, on on in a therapeutic area that has indications that might be similar to the therapeutic area that they're. Looking looking to hire for, or maybe you work with a very unique and specialized medicine that that they would consider you for, even though maybe you don't have that therapeutic area experience. Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm working with a, a, a biopharmaceutical company in Toronto right now that's looking to hire a senior product manager to launch a really unique, um, bio, like basically it's, it's not a, a, like a biologic, like all the biologics these days are monoclonal antibodies, right? And this is a real big area in our industry too. I should have mentioned that when you asked me what are some of the big areas to get into and biologics is really big right now if you can get that experience then you know that's what everybody's launching and everything's about biotech biologics but there's new gene therapy medicines coming to market I'm even working with a company that's that that's basically creating microbiomes in 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 the system it's like basically almost like gene hacking very biotech like and nothing's been launched like that before in Canada it's really new emerging medical technology so They're going to have a difficulty finding somebody who has that specific experience. But if they've launched a challenging medicine, maybe a biologic or something really unique, this is the type of candidates that that my client is looking for. So there's you know there's lots of ways to bridge the experience that you have and move into another area based on the success that you've had working in another therapeutic area. So, you know, it's not so cut and dried really. It's kind of case by case. Each company's different about what they'll consider also depending on size. You know, if you're a smaller biotech company with 20 people in Canada, then you're going to probably need like, like the hiring mandate will be very, very specific. But if you're working for a larger organization that has hundreds of people in Canada, then there's a lot of support and people around that can assist you and help you to learn so it really does depend but to answer you I know this is a bit long-winded but I would say go for it you know if there's an area that you want to get into then you work hard you create accomplishments for yourself you get into working on some some challenging medicines and then you leverage that those accomplishments and that experience to get you where you want to go so go for it don't ever quit before you start because I believe that you can really achieve anything if you work hard and put your mind to it and switching over to uh,
2: employers is there anything that they should be focusing on in terms of how they hire, whether or not it's related to COVID, but are there mistakes that they're they're making or areas that they can really shift uh, in order to find the best talent out there?
3: <laughs> well, that's that's a great question too. I mean, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, especially from a recruiter's point of view, I mean, sometimes these hiring processes take too long. You know, they're they're so process driven and great candidates get lost to other employers. For example, I mentioned to you about the MSL role. It's in such high demand and there's such a low pool of candidates out there for these roles. And, you know, you, you you go and recruit an amazing MSL and, you know, if the company's very large and there's a lot of process and it takes a lot of time, another company comes and snatches them up and you lose a great candidate. So. That's one big problem that I'm seeing is the the processes are very long for some of these companies. And in that process, you, you can lose some great people.
2: So for younger people with less experience,
3: what should their approach be? OK, so for, for younger people with lesser experience, I mean, let's say you have some experience and, you, you know, you want to break into a, into a bigger role within the pharmaceutical industry. You know, there, there's a few things that are really, really important. So, number one, I mean, you, you when you approach a company and, and they're interested in you and you have a chance to get even if it's a 30 minute you know, interview with HR over the phone, the key is to be better prepared and better researched than your competitors, the competitor candidates that you're interviewing against. This is the key to really succeeding. And especially if you don't have a lot of experience, if you can dig in and show that you are proactive, that you're, you know, that you're mature and that you're serious about the job that you're pursuing. And the way that you show that is by digging in, by learning as much about the company, not just basically what they're Therapeutic areas they work in, or how many people they have globally. Like you learn the medicines, you dig in, and you show the employer. You know, if they're interviewing someone that's got seven more years' experience and that person didn't do their homework and and just kind of came in in a nonchalant manner like a meet and greet, you know, then the, the the more junior candidate who has that little bit of experience that shows he's rolled up this shows that he or her have rolled up their sleeves and dug in, learned about the company, and came very well prepared with great examples from what they've already done. Maybe if they've only got a couple of years' experience in industry, but they've done a huge amount in two years and created. Tremendous tremendous success and they're able to, you know, have great examples of their accomplishments and, and you know, what they can do for the company. And, you know, that, that's another thing, too, is that there's often some, some candidates that come into these companies and are more asking, like, what can you do for me? I mean, it's important to, you know, it's a two-way street, of course, but it's important when you approach, when you approach an employer to, to basically let them know what you can do for them and how you can help them with their mission and how you can help them with their problems. Um, so being very well-prepared, not having an entitledistic attitude, um, being really well-researched and being armed with just the best examples and being clear and concise in your presentation, you know, that that, that is what I would recommend. That's how, And I've seen it. I've seen junior candidates who who didn't have therapeutic area experience win in an interview over someone who had twice as much experience in therapeutic area experience, but, you know, the other candidate was just hungrier, rolled up their sleeves and did their due diligence and came extremely well prepared. So that's my biggest advice. Do your research. Have examples prepared. Anticipate the questions. You know, look at the job description for each bullet point. Have examples prepared when you've done it. If you haven't done it, well, show at least You've, you've been exposed to it or at least done research on it and that it will be quick for you to get up to speed on it. So being proactive, rolling up your sleeves and not having an entitlement attitude is, is my recommendation.
2: I think that's pretty solid advice. I wish I had that coming out of school because I think you uh, are intimidated by the job requirements and you might feel uh, what's the point and it does hit your confidence. So those are great things that you can really uh,
3: pull on. So, yeah, for sure. And, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I'll tell you, like, I get, I, and I provide this advice to candidates, even candidates who are at higher levels, you know, about doing your homework. Like, the best advice I can provide is when you have an opportunity, you have to dig into it right off the get go. You know, even if you don't make it past that 30 minute interview, you need to go in there as though you're talking to the GM, like, as though you, you have to know everything and show them. They'll be super impressed, you know, if you have that level of, of preparation going in. Because not every, even though I tell people this sometimes, I still receive feedback from hiring managers that they didn't know much about the products or the company. I'm like, really? That's like the exact advice <laughs> I told them they should that they should do, right? So I think that's really, really key. And you know, just I uh, thought I'd mention something else as well. Like on a resume, resumes should be tailored for the opportunities that you're pursuing. There's many times that I speak to people who maybe even if they have two years of experience or ten years of experience, and when I interview them, and I you know I can see that they have a lot more experience than the resume shows. What I mean by more experience is, let's say I'm looking for a product manager to launch a new oncology, biological medicine, right? And I, I, sometimes people on their resume, they don't really list their therapeutic area that they worked on a biologic. So I interview them and they they share all this wonderful information with me. I'm like, you have to put that on your resume. You know, if, if you're interviewing for a biologics role, if you're interviewing for an oncology role, and you have some of that experience, it's, it's important to put those keywords in your resume. So when HR who's going through tons of resumes and looks at them very quickly, they look down and they see, hey, that's the same therapeutic experience that we're looking for. Oh, look at that, they've worked with two biologics. We really would love somebody with biologics experience. I think it's important to make sure you change your resume for each, inter, like each um, you know, opportunity that you're, you're submitting it for. Uh, that's that's really really important because if if they if HR or hiring managers look down, they don't see the therapeutic area experience. They don't see you've worked with the biologic. Well, you just decreased your probability of getting your foot in the door, haven't you?
0: Well, that's and that's a great point because a lot of times what what I've seen and you know I I was guilty of it when I was younger. Uh, your resume it just seems it's static. You don't make those changes, and I think that's really really good advice to be able to say. It should be fluid. It should be something that depends on the, the job and the role that you're looking for and make sure that you actually have that specific information. And then, like you said, even if it's somebody who's coming right out of university, just showcase that you've done, you know, some due diligence, you've done some, you know, some work in a certain area or at least have some knowledge and put that on the resume because those are
3: the things that will stand out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even as a recruiter, when I'm putting a candidate forward to one of my clients and I know the candidate is really good, like it's, it's even for me, like if I, I want to get them in, in the door and I want to get them an interview, but if they don't have those keywords in their resume and you know, you, you can't resend the resume. Well, once you've set, submitted a resume, it's submitted, you, you know, you, you, and you, and once a hiring managers made a decision, it's hard to sometimes turn their mind around. So it's important when you strike, And you make that first impression that you do it properly. And when you send a resume to some of these companies, those resumes stay on file there. And now you've locked yourself in there with that resume. So that is really, really important. And, And a lot of people are looking for that specific experience. So if you have it, if you're reading the job description and there's some bullet points there that you've done and you don't have it on your resume, never misrepresent yourself, but make sure you highlight that key experience from the job description. You know, you're, you're also mentioning about uh, maybe people who are coming out of school who have no experience at all. Well, there, there's hope for them too. Um, you know, there's, there's some really great programs. Like there's a lot of Masters of Biotech candidates. Like so University of Toronto has a Masters of Biotech program. And I see that a lot of other universities pretty much have that too. I've seen some really amazing up and coming candidates coming out of those programs. Uh, also, I have, you know, seen candidates who take co-ops um, you know, let's, let's specifically like on the medical side, let's say you're a, a graduating PharmD or a PhD, um, you know, and you want to basically break into the pharmaceutical industry. Well, you could probably get a residency program working at Sanofi Genzyme or, or, or another company like that and get eight or nine months of really great experience, which will help leverage you to get a full-time permanent role what you want within the industry. So even when you're in school, if there's ways that you can get a residency at a at, at Bayer or Sanofi or one of those companies, or Roche, or there's a way that you could do a co-op and just dig in a little bit and even get some great references from those companies. Like if you've worked for Roche for six months on a co-op and you know a hiring manager there can say that you're you know that you're you're proactive and you're a great learner and that you hit the ground running really quickly, you know that that's going to help you to get a position, a full-time permanent role that that you're after versus let's say a bunch of other raw grads who haven't taken that. Who just maybe have the PhD? Like, I would suggest do anything you can to try to get a little bit of industry experience because that's going to help, that's going to give you an advantage over others that don't. Residency programs, co ops, I mean, these are really great things that'll give you an edge. You know, like even talking about, I think we spoke about this last year, even on the pharmaceutical side, like a lot of, a lot of people want to get into pharmaceutical sales. And, you know, like well, I mentioned the pandemic sort of halted some of that, but that's going to be back again. We're all going to be, you know, we're all getting our vaccinations and people are going to be visiting doctor's offices in no time. And then, you know, that sales force will start to grow even more. And, and there are still some great sales opportunities for new products that are being launched. But, you know, I often would tell people who are raw grads, you know, if you want to get into the pharmaceutical industry, everybody. Everybody's trying. And if you, if you want to get in, well, you should go work somewhere for a year, like at a Xerox or, 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 a, or some type of consumer packaged goods company where you're doing sales for a year, where you can create some accomplishments and get some great references. And then you, you can use that sales experience, your master's degree or your BSc to basically get into a sales role within pharma. But sometimes it's hard without that experience because there's so many raw grads who are constantly applying so you need to do something that's going to give you an edge you need to get some practical experience any way that you can that'll give you an edge
2: well michael thanks so much for all the the guidance that you've uh, shared this is definitely something we want to invite you back on for for another update and obviously we could go on for a lot longer so just want to thank you is there uh would you like to share just how people can get a hold of you and kind of the services that you offer
3: for those who would like to reach out to me i am the managing partner of attaneo we're a life science search group in downtown toronto i can be reached at michael.attaneo.com attaneo is spelled a t t a i n e o Also, you're welcome to reach out to me through LinkedIn. My name is Michael Aceto, A-C-E-T-O. It should be easy to find me there. And uh, also, you're welcome to check out our website, which is www.ataneo.com. And we specialize in uh, in pharmaceutical and life science. Basically, life science is everything kind of healthcare across North America. We have offices uh, here in Toronto, as well as in North America.
2: Great, so we'll share some of those links uh, in the uh, podcast description. So Michael, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. Definitely would like to do this again.
3: Oh, I'd like to do it again as well. It's always fun talking with you guys and uh, thanks for having me on on the podcast. I, I really do appreciate it, it's a lot of fun. Thanks again,
1: Michael. So that was our episode with Michael Aceto. Again, we'll include Michael's info in the podcast description. We hope you liked this episode. We'd like to have him back. So if you have any questions you'd like us to ask him when he comes back, please reach out to us on LinkedIn or on our website, aromodigitalgroup.com.